Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I'm having a wonderful day uh, up in Canada. It's starting to get a little bit cold. We didn't think that winter was really going to attack us, but it finally came. Uh, we had a very mild January and uh, mild December. February has finally let us know that winter is coming. Maybe it's climate change. Maybe it's just a natural progression. I don't know. But uh, I know it's, it's cold as hell up here, and uh, I have mixed feelings about it. Normally... It's not the pandemic. I would be out and about, and this would be my busiest time of the year. I would have shows stacked one on top of the other, and uh, and that would just be normal to me. And I didn't realize how, how much I'd taken that for granted. Now, in the last year, and in fact, a, a year ago today, I kind of made a, a very conscious decision to kind of shift out of that because I wanted to spend more time with my children. Uh, my my daughter is very clever. Uh, my son is uh, is a is a brilliant little human being uh, with uh, with ADHD, and uh, he he was very. He required a lot of extra attention. Just uh, when Daddy was out on the road and Mom was home, it was a little bit much. So Daddy needed to be home a little bit more. So he I was able to find a way to pivot. So, I thought I would have a, a conversation about other people that have done that. And so I'm, I'm very excited today to talk to Mick Smith. He's in Los Angeles right now. He is the Vice President of Design at Eastern Lighting Design. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure. We are both parents of young children while working in an entertainment industry. Up until this last decade or so, I would say the entertainment industry was very wild. Uh, I would say that we were a bunch of uh, pirates kind of gallivanting around the world with a lot of, uh, you know, we weren't seen as a, as a profession per se. We were kind of seen as a hobby uh, traditionally. Like when I think of uh, ancient Greek times, when I think of uh, Shakespearean times, it was, we were kind of outcasts. But now as, as profession, entertainment professionals, this is a, a respectable job. This is something that we can have a house. We can have two cars and a picket fence for the first time. Like we're, we can be at home with our kids and be in the entertainment industry. That's gotta be in the grand scheme of things. That's kind of a new thing for the entertainment industry. hundred percent. I mean, new, new for me, you know, I never expected to be a parent in this industry ever. Uh, so that was kind of one of the, one of the great surprises is, you know, you can be a dad and, and be present and still work in this industry. And, uh, it's, that's, that part's been amazing. That's great. 
So we're going to circle back to this, but now let's kind of go back to like, why did you get into this? Clearly it wasn't to be a dad in the entertainment industry. Let's kind of, let's kind of get into your origin story a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Growing up in Portland, Oregon, you know, my parents would take me uh, to some of the theater shows that would come through from time to time. And at that period, you know, it was Phantom of the Opera, uh, Les Miserables, Miss Saigon, you know, kind of the bigger mega musicals of the time that were coming through. Uh, one of the one of the times we went and saw Phantom of the Opera, I was you know stayed back towards the end of the at the end of the show, and just asked the front of house audio guy, you know, a, a bit about what he was doing there, and and uh, you know thanked him for the show and that kind of thing, and he offered to take me backstage and show me you know, how some of the, you know, kind of the things worked that I was just, just watching, you know, and, and seeing those shows at the time, you know, the, the stagecraft and, and all of that things that were, you know, I just wasn't used to seeing at, at that age where I was like, that's really amazing. And this guy is paid to, you know, to do this. And, you know, there's a whole group of people that create these shows and, you know, so we went backstage and you know, he showed me, you know, where the chandelier happens and all the kind of candelabras and things that come up out of the floor. And it's like, wow, that's, you know, the wings are just stuffed full of scenery. And it's like, th this is pretty, ama pretty amazing. So from kind of from that point, that was a spark for me of thinking, uh, you know, I might might want to want to do this. And around the same time, I had a friend working in the drama department that was you know, I think they were doing Oliver. You know, they just needed a follow spot operator. Uh, you know, someone to that didn't really know anything, but you know, could could do it. So I I helped out for for a bit of that and really kind of uh, you know fell in love with the atmosphere, the the people, the uh, the teacher and the drama department was really quite supportive uh, for all students and really kind of helped to prop up you know people that she thought you know could probably have a, a bit of an interest in, and maybe move on with that. How old were you when you went and talked to the front of house guy at Les Mis? I must've been 14, 14, 15 14. years old at that point. Yeah. Here you are, 14 year old Mick coming to talk to the, the front of house guy. He has no reason whatsoever to take you backstage. He could easily just be like, move along. The show's over. Get out of here, kid. Touring group, right? You know, they, they wrap out their show for the night. And probably hoping to drop their bags and get to a pub and, uh, you know, shoot this shit with their friends and, and kind of move on. But, uh, you know, this guy was, uh, yeah, like gave his time after the gig off the clock to just show someone that had an interest in what they did. And my parents were pissed because they, they had no idea where I disappeared to. So at the end of it, <laughs> after I got the backstage tour... Yeah, I come out the stage door and there they are. Like, where the hell have you been? <laughs> like, oh, they, this is the greatest thing that happened. We're like, <laughs> wow, here you are cutting yeah. into their sleep time and and uh, and his bar time, and yeah. everybody's willing to do it. They have yeah. with no clue of what path they've just led you on. No, none at all. And it, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, 
Well, that's inspiring to make sure that I return the favor to any time of 14 or anybody, a person of any age out in front of house. They're like, Hey, I want to learn more. Like, okay, let's, let's take a few minutes here and, and like motivate the next generation. That's cool. I, I think that that's crucial, right? I, it, it's why when anyone stops and asks me a question and it's not, you know, I'm not, in the mix of of an audience or a, a lot of the, the work i do now is is put forth you know o- over through the tv and you don't have that interaction with people <laughs> to ask you questions but when people do you know if you're, if you're doing a, a live event and there's you know a lot of audience filtering in or out and if they ask any sort of questions about you know about what i'm doing or anything about the show uh within reason yeah, I'm always happy to to have those conversations and kind of yeah, you never know. You never know who you're going to motivate and inspire to kind of take that next move and and find what they really want to get into. Uh, it sounds like your parents were patrons of the art. They they were no stranger to bringing you two shows. That's that's right. Yeah. And I don't think they they really um had any idea what was going to happen. And certainly when I, by the time I came back and said, you know, this is what I really want to do. You know, my dad had like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like you can make money doing that. That makes no sense. You know, go get a business degree <laughs> and you can, you know, it's like, what, what are you talking about? You're going to go be like one of those gypsies that travel the country. And, and like, no, there's like, I kind of, um, you know, it was all hope. And you, like, you know, there, there's bigger things to this business that, that I want to be a part of. And no, I have no idea how I'm going to get there. No idea if I will get there. But I, I love what I'm seeing and I love what I'm experiencing. And, you know, the the emotions and, you know, the happiness you get from being a part of that family. And then you get to opening night and you see the curtain rise or, you know, you launch that project that you've been spending months on it's um immensely gratifying yeah absolutely my parents were this very similar they were very supportive but my dad was constantly like, well you make sure you have a plan b you know make if you're going to get a degree in theater you should you know make sure it, it includes communications or business or something you know make sure you got you know follow your dreams but have a plan b did you get kind of the same the same treatment hundred percent that yeah <laughs> finally finally relented and were completely supportive um i mean that's actually that's a good tangent too of you know yes if this is what you want to do go for it but make sure you have a you know something else in addition and in hindsight you know i yeah i wish i would have taken business classes or other you know other little things that i know now would have been very helpful but at the time, you know, you don't necessarily think, you know, crushing it in an Excel spreadsheet is really going to like knowing how to drive that program is going to be so beneficial years down the road when, you know, it's not always creating it. You know, you got to budget and labor and all of those logistics. That's a big part of it, too. Oh my God. I can totally see the cycle perpetuating itself too. Cause my dad told me the same thing and I didn't listen. And now <laughs> that I'm 40 ish, I'm going to tell my son the same thing. And I have, a, 
I have a hunch he's going to respond to me the exact same way I responded to my dad. He's going to be like, you don't know anything. I'm not going to do business. What's what you, what is suit and tie business degree? What, what, who's ever going to use that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just going to perpetuate itself. My son and my daughter, they're both going to look at me like business. We want to do music or I don't know. Who knows what they're going to be. Like, why are you talking to me about this? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you got your first, I would imagine, was it an internship or was it like a community theater follow spot job? No, it was in the high school. High school. High school production. Yeah. For, uh, nice. for Oliver. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed it. And then Unpaid. I, you know, Completely. experience just going to town you're like this gets me out of my other classes let's do it that's right there was uh i mean in addition to having a really good teacher that didn't necessarily provide you know much of the technical like here's what you do with all of this uh you know there were former students you know at td that was still part of part of the program and would come back for these bigger shows you know and kind of make sure that we were weren't all you know doing things just you know wildly unsafe <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. we would we would yeah yeah high school theater is rampant with really unsafe practices okay completely and I still think about some of the um the things that we, we used to do it's like oh man <laughs> and, and even like some of the um some of the other out people that came into hang speakers and I'm like, what in the hell are they doing? Like that doesn't look safe at all. It turns oh. out a lot of it wasn't, but no, it was not hemp ropes with over pulleys that didn't work anymore. Dorage lofts that were way out of code with way more gear and, you know, a frame ladders that may or may not have all four casters, you know, <laughs> Yeah, mo moving a good couple of feet in the air and just, uh, <laughs> oh. yeah. I could come down the ladder and then move it a foot, or I could just scoot the ladder from 40 feet in the air. Let's, let's scoot. So much easier, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. We've come a long way from that. I, I, I haven't been in a high school theater lately, but I would, I can't imagine it's changed too much. Yeah, I would imagine there's still a heavy dose of uh of that yeah we'll, we'll just <laughs> fuck it we'll figure it out you know we'll, we'll make it work but uh you know luckily none of us ever got hurt or you know we had had people around to kind of keep us out of trouble or at least trouble. not us we we survived <laughs> uh cheers right. to that that's right <laughs> so was there somebody in the high school theater who was able to encourage you to go to college and stay in the field yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was also my um, my drama teacher, uh, was Carol Coburn. Actually, she um, yeah, she was just you know incredibly supportive of of getting me into the field and you know pointing out a few schools nearby that that could help and uh, you know so I just started pushing down that road and and seeing seeing what happened. Oregon has quite a few theater schools. They Did do, any of them right? interest you? I ended up going to, uh, I was looking at a private art school in Seattle, 
right? Okay. Cornish, Cornish College of the Arts. Because uh, I was thinking, you know, like a nice small program conservatory really sounded like it'd be a you know a good place to immerse yourself, really okay. get into it, do a lot of work, not get lost in in a bigger program where you may not get to do as much work. Uh, so I went went out of state. I went to Washington for for a bit. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily see eye to eye with the okay. uh, <laughs> a professor up there. I, I remember a conversation once I was up there of um, you know just talking about moving lights at the time. Like, yeah, these are these are fascinating. These are really cool, and you know. So so lovely in the console world, but um, you know she she said you know they're never going to have a place in in theater. Exactly, oh. exactly. That that's the, oh. the facepalm the face moment, and you know, respectfully, you don't say. Oh, respectfully, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Like what the, <laughs> <laughs> in, in other words, but um, yeah, I, I, I was. I think it was kind of at that moment i was like this this isn't necessarily for me so i looked i looked elsewhere towards a, a bigger program and ended up in arizona uh for the nice. university of arizona yeah yeah cool. fantastic uh but they had you know facilities and programs um automation they had color scrollers and source for Lico's in, in some of their newer spaces and at the time that was uh okay so they're yeah, you know, they have some older older facilities you can work in, but also newer equipment, and they're they're putting in some money to the technology that I feel is going to be important for uh, for the education I want, and where you know those steps I want to take to, you know, kind of parlay that experience into some sort of a career. Right on. I think we have to take a little tangent here. Twenty years ago, I would say that there was some merit to that argument that, you know, moving lights are for rock and roll and conventionals are for theater today. That is inexcusable because it's, yeah. it's you're not preparing your students for what they're going to get in the real world. If you could, if, if there is any teachers out there that are listening or still promoting that moving lights are not for theater, you're doing a disservice to the students because it is all moving lights now, you know, conventionals will always have a place, but it's not, it's, it's definitely not a, uh, there's no clear delineation between where moving lights belong and where they don't anymore. I, I couldn't agree more. It's, um, it, it's that, that take what was really surprising for me. And yes, you, as a, as a student, and when you're learning your craft and you're learning how to, how to make those hard choices because you only have 20 lights or you have 40 lights, but you know, not that many dimmers and you're working with AB switches to, you know, put together these bigger looks and smaller, more challenging uh, facilities. It's, mm -hmm. you know, at some point you're, you're going to need to lean on that technology and not be completely head in the sand about it being an option and what it can do for you as a designer or for your show. Absolutely. If anybody finishes any sort of schooling with a degree in lighting and they haven't touched a moving light or know the capabilities of a moving light, 
they're just going to get bombarded. They're going to get tricked. They're going to think they know everything and they're going to go to their very first job and they're going to be like, oh my God, I don't know anything. <laughs> Steamrolled. Yeah, completely. Steamrolled, that's a great term. <laughs> it sounds like Arizona State had a lot more to offer for you. It did. Yeah, it was um, It was good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as as a student, you or I, I felt like I had a lot of latitude working in the program. Um, you know, I had great advisors, you know, and professors that were supportive and even supportive enough to know that, Hey, I want to leave school for a week and go do a professional gig, you know, working with other, uh, other people in the industry, you know, that's, uh, realizing and recognizing the potential of letting your students like get out and have those experiences that are not within the enclave that that's huge. And it's, um, you're only, you know, you're only allowing your students to bring back more, you know, to, to maybe teach them something, right? Absolutely. Te teach the rest of your students, uh, you know, your friends, you know, these experiences that, that build you up, you know, in turn, you know, build the rest of us up because like, Hey, this thing I learned on this gig, how can we do it here? You know, did you know that this could, this can happen. Yeah, you know, those are those are things that you don't necessarily always get if you're, you know, not allowed to leave. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just perpetuating the cycle of students graduating and then just turning right back around and teaching what they just learned from the textbook. You know, that oh. that that closed loop is is not doing anybody any good. I, I never understood that that aspect. I know there's yeah. um. That's definitely a tract and a goal for some, mm -hmm. but for myself, I never, never understood what I could offer someone if I didn't experience anything outside of what everyone else is being taught. Absolutely. How long did it take you at Arizona to finish your schooling? Oh, let's see. I think it was, uh, at that point it was three years. Okay. Yeah. Three years on the back end after after the time in the Northwest. Okay. Yeah. And then you had a, a Bachelor of Arts from Arizona? Bachelor of Fine Arts. Yeah. Design and technology. Ready yeah. to face the world. Oh. Not not a clue and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I really I mean, I really had no idea. It was another one of those those points in your life where um it's like, okay, it seems like I'm going to get this degree. What do, what do you do with it? You know, it's um, for as good as a school is and, um, and was for me at the time and the experiences of the people I met, it isn't like going to a school, uh, let's say in LA or even in the Northeast, right? That are kind of immersed in the culture that's already there. Like you, you know, go to NYU or SUNY Purchase or any number of those schools, you know, those are kind of easy feeder schools in a way to, if you want to go work on Broadway, there you go. Like there's a lot of options. If you want to get into film and TV, you know, maybe you at the time, uh, Cal Arts, you know, there's, there's a lot of options. Uh, so coming right. from Arizona, I, I had no idea. I was like, well, maybe I'll you know, go to grad school. <laughs> you know, kind of that, kind of that, that cycle. What do you do now? Well, I go to grad school and you meet the connections to, 
to move forward in the business. And that was a point when my parents said, look, you've done good so far, right? You're getting a little bit of work outside of school. You're about to graduate. Why don't you just work for two years? Take two years, see what you think. And then if you feel like you need to get a, uh, you know, more education, get a graduate's degree, if that's going to make a sense, uh, or if that's going to make a difference for you, then uh, go for it. Okay. And that's when I, uh, you know, I took their advice on that one <laughs> and, you know, went to work. Yeah. What was your first job out of, out of college? City Theatrical in the Bronx, nice. New York. Yeah. Research and development. Off Associate. to the big city. Off to the big city. Uh, yeah. As it turns out, there was an alumni from the U of A that, that was working there. So when I knew, and he said, Hey, I know you're graduating here in a couple of months. Uh, you know, do you want a job out here? It's like, sure. That's great. Also the, you know? the alumni did, the alumni did come through for you. Cause like at <laughs> yep. Cal arts and, uh, and SUNY purchase, like the mentorships are just built in. Like you're That's almost right. guaranteed that you're going to meet somebody who's going to help you out. But in this case, it sounded like you still, you were still able to manage that. C completely. And it was, um, it was close enough. You know, I, I got to New York, had no money. Um, you know, got robbed on the subway late at night, like in my first month there. Initiation. Um, yep. You got initiation. Initiated. Yeah. 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 And, uh, Gary fails at city theatrical was, uh, you know, it was great for taking a, you know, br kind of bringing me in and taking a chance on, you know, another kid from, from Arizona that didn't have, you know, the, the right names or kind of connections on, on a resume or anything like that. Uh, so it was great. And it's closeness to, to Broadway and Gary's involvement, city theatricals involvement with Broadway and theater was, um, was tremendous. You know, so working on, you know, some research and development kind of items at the time there, you know, another thing I would do is running custom parts into, you know, Broadway shows when, you know, the Phantom of the Opera, coincidentally, you know, needs a new, needs a new heater pump for the dries fog machine. You know, yeah, I could drop that off on my way home. No worries. Or, you know, Peggy and Jules need a custom thing down at Cabaret. Yeah, I'll bring that. I could drop that off as well. And, um, and that was cool. You know, so from just being out of school, kind of wanting to get into that, that world and aspiring to work there, just to walk into the theater and, and you know, be where it happens was, you know, great for me. God, I'm, I just miss walking into theaters right now. Yeah. Me too. You know, without going down that tangent, I just miss walking into a theater and seeing the lobby and the smell and the, and the ghost light and the, the, the freshly painted floor. I miss all of that terribly right now. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. There's nothing like it. And, uh, yeah. it, it's a distant memory. Right. Uh, now. All right. So you're, you're at city theatrical and you're, you're definitely seeing all the, all the big players in your circle. They're all floating around. Uh, how do you jump from city theatrical to being in the theaters as much as you want to be? Oddly enough, the uh, the next alumni connection, uh, Philip Rosenberg, 
who was uh, right on. Yeah, who was at the time a uh, you know, guess you could say high level associate assistant on Broadway. Yeah. For Paul Gallo, he also went to the University of Arizona. Uh, so, you know, our uh, professor connected us, and he was able to kind of bring me on and you know do a bit of studio drafting at uh, you know for Paul Gallo on. You know, I think it was the Civil War, you know, so just working in the, stu- in the studio, putting together some paperwork, you know, for for Broadway shows. And it was it wasn't a big, big time, time commitment at all. Right. It's, you know, we could use someone for a couple of weeks to come help kind of get get them ready before. You know, they, they head into the theater and uh, and put the show in and that uh, that was another education like that was the graduate's degree that I think I was actually looking for in a way. Right. I mean, Paul Gallo, your parents just, were, it, your parents were right again. Like that were right again. I know. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, parents. Thank you, parents. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll have to go back and thank them again for that one. <laughs> oh man. That's tough. That's tough. Yeah. No, that, that, that experience was, I mean, I mean, working with, uh, Working with Philip, uh, Paul Miller, even at the time, yeah. Uh, David Weiner, uh, meeting you know Vivian Leone, also you know there was all all of a sudden like that meeting Philip and working in Paul Gallo's studio uh, opened up a lot of doors for me, you know for being able to go start being an assistant before I was in the union though so you're you know assistant to the light designer or Right. Something like that. But, you know, I was able to figure that out and just kind of keep working to the point that I could, I could quit city theatrical and I just went for it. See, I love, I love doing this podcast format because I feel like that's the sort of thing that doesn't usually make it into a bio or a, like a demo reel. It just says Mick Smith went to Arizona Arizona State. Next thing you know, he's working on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It doesn't say. <laughs> we we kind of skip yeah. over the city theatrical, the the running and the the drafting and the the assistant to the, you know that that's not the stuff that we put at the top of our bio. It just says I went to Arizona State. Next thing you know, I, I work for uh, Seth Meyers. Like what? Yeah. How did? You know, yeah. A lot of people. I think that's what leads to a lot of people to think like, well, as soon as I get out of college, I'm going to go, I'm going to go work on Broadway. Sure. Mm, yeah. No, you're not. You're... It's easy. You get, a, you get an apartment with 10 people and uh, you just do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you make it happen. Yeah. It doesn't say Mick Smith lived on a couch for, for 10 months because his wallet got stolen. And it just says <laughs> Arizona state, and next thing you know, he's the vice president of design. What? Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> there's some steps in between there, you know? Yeah, it's, and it's, you, well, now that I think about it, it's rare that I get to have those conversations too. So it's, um, it's actually a fun little trip down memory lane to, you know, you forget how you got, you forget how you kind of get to these places and the people along the way, uh, they were so supportive of you and just, just those chance introductions are you just can't measure how important they may be 
You oh, know? you'll never know who's going to be the one either. You'll never know which alumni is going to be the one that's going to give you the phone call that opens the doors. Yeah. Or how you met them, you know, what, yeah. aspect, of, what aspect of the business um, they were in and now what they do. It's, I mean, it's, it's a really good thing to keep in mind. It's like when you meet people, when you at, interact with people, you don't know what they're really going to be doing what they're going to be doing in five years, if they're going to call you and say, Hey, I need, I need someone for this and thought of you are like, Holy shit. That's great. I, I want to do that job with you, you know? <laughs> and you're a nice person. So there's that. It's uh Oh, it's such a fine line. You have to treat everybody as if they're a potential client without treating everybody like they're a potential client. You know, you have to like, you have to be so genuine to say like, Hey, I, just like hanging out with you without treating them like, Oh, so tell me how you're going to benefit me. You know, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird dichotomy there. It's a fine line too. And it's the times that I've interviewed with interviewed with people, uh, especially when I was younger and you have those meetings, like you're excited to talk to people and you're, you know, you, you want, you really want to say, I want to do what you do. I want to work on the projects that you work on without sounding desperate. Uh, you know, but also being earnest and like, you know, I, I love what I do and I, I love the work that you're doing and I want to be part of that as well. Oh, that comes from a very genuine place right there. Like, Hey, yeah. I want to be doing what you're doing. Yeah. And not, not even that I want to take your gig. <laughs> it's like I, i'm not i'm not trying to steal your gig which yeah. is um which is could be another problem too right yeah but uh, so uh after all this when did you finally have the confidence to say like yeah i can i can design a show on broadway well i never designed a show on broadway i was always oh, okay a, uh, j just point of point of fact right okay it was a uh, assistant associate okay uh Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> that's a that's a good question. I, I think tor probably towards the end of the time that I was working on Broadway, I was feeling more and more comfortable with it because I was spending more time as an associate and okay. more time reproducing reproducing shows, you know, internationally as well, and creating the different touring touring versions of those and there's a lot of interaction and just bit of business that you don't really learn until until you get through it so you know so yeah. having all those conversations and having the confidence to have the conversations and say no actually we're going to be fucked if you try to do this in this venue or you know ha being confident in yourself and knowing mm -hmm. that that could be a Hard place to get to. So where along the path did you meet your wife? In college. Yeah. In really? Arizona. Yeah. 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 She was a costume designer. So she, she was fully aware <laughs> of what the, the industry had in, in, in mind. Like she knew that there was going to be some late hours and some long, some long tech sessions. She she was came in fully aware of uh, the lifestyle. Thankfully, 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why we're still together. She knows the uh, <laughs> kind of knows as bad as it gets. And, uh, you know, the, the great parts as well, where you get to spend, you know, a good chunk of time at home when you can. Right on. Did she yeah. come to New York with you? After she did, after she um, got her MFA, she moved okay. to New York. Yeah. And she dabbled with the, uh, you know, working in theater and costumes for a bit, but it wasn't, wasn't really for her. So then she, you know, kind of moved on, moved on to okay. a different side, fashion okay. business kind of stuff. Cool. Still entertainment. Uh, no fashion. She, fashion. She got out. Yeah. She nice. got out of the, uh, the entertainment business, uh, entirely, which is, you know, probably pretty smart. Clever. Very yeah. clever. <laughs> uh, smarter than us at the moment, I would imagine. Right. I know. <laughs> so I would imagine then she was also fairly well established in New York. And then after you guys had, you know, basically, uh, risen to a, a comfortable level, you guys decided to move to LA. After two years of having, uh, we, we had our son first, right? Okay. So, so I didn't we had our, skip we had our that son step. That's a, that's a major step. No worries. That's a big one. So we uh, we had our son, and then two years later we decided to uh, to to make the move. Okay, New York wasn't uh, where you wanted to raise your son, or it was just a new adventure. Not necessarily. We uh, you know we started started looking around, and you know had quite a few friends that had lived in the city, moved to New Jersey, moved to, out to the suburbs. Or, you know, found places where you can have space to raise a family. You know, we're looking around, like, trying to figure out, can we do this in New York City? And we lived in Brooklyn, loved it, loved our neighborhood. And, you know, then, then I started seeing, you know, some of the older kids, like junior high school kids walking down the street, you know, speaking a, a little worse than some stagehands on one of my, uh, <laughs> on a gig might be, uh, might be. So... It's like, well, maybe this isn't the, uh, you know, the best place for, for okay. trying to raise a, and that's, All right. that's why we decided to move out here and also be closer to, you know, her family's out here and my family's all on the West coast as well. So it, it made, just made sense to get out here, you know, get closer to everyone. All right. So Sharon and I, when we lived in Vegas, we 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 had our kids and we kind of had an idea that things weren't going to change completely. Like I was working at Cirque du Soleil at the time. So I would work from like 3 PM until 11. And then I would go see Sharon who was singing and she would be singing until two in the morning. And we kind of had this idea that a, some sort of magical school existed for people like us where we could drop the kids off at like 6 PM and then pick them up at three in the morning and that would be their school. As soon as we realized that that didn't exist, we kind of came to the realization that, that our lives were going to change completely. Uh, and, I, and I don't know why we didn't realize that. I think we, I don't know if people ever realize uh, what, how their lives are going to change when they have kids. But I would imagine that you and your wife had to come to some sort of similar realization that that's that you, we can't be working those sort of hours and 
be very good parents at the same time. Uh, we, something had to change. Did you guys come to the, to a similar realization? It, we did. And my, my wife worked a, um, yeah, what I would say norm, normal hours, right? Um, okay. I can't, I can't imagine the situation you had where you were both on in those production schedules, but um, yeah. you know, neither of us had any idea for kind of what was coming. And everyone tells you and gives you all the insight of, you know, you're never going to have time for yourself. And, you know, and my goodness, is it, you know, it's, it's right. You know, you, you spend 14 to 16 hours on a show and you come home and your spouse is exhausted from <laughs> like doing all, all the things that day with the kids, but you, you also need to be present and you can't necessarily come in and be like, Oh, I've really earned, you know, that, that glass of Johnny Walker <laughs> and I'm going to sit down in my chair and, <laughs> you know, watch a bit. Of, no, that's yeah. Parenthood. Uh, definitely. It's, it's a challenge in our business. Um, Especially when you get off at three in the morning, if when we get off at three in the morning or something, and then we like, well, clearly I'm going to have eight hours of sleep. You know, our, our coworkers can respect that. They can be like, oh, well, we got off at work at three. Let's not come in until let's do an eight hour turnaround. Our kids, they don't get it. They don't respect sleep. They don't know you know, they, they're unable to even grasp the concept of, oh, daddy was up till three in the morning. That first year, I, I've never, I don't remember ever being so tired. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that, you know, when there are people on my team that have kids now, you, know, you definitely, um, it, it gives you a, a bit of an eye opener as to, well, I'm going to give them a little more latitude <laughs> just because they're probably, they, they, they might be uh, teetering on the edge of, of insanity right now, just <laughs> completely sleep deprived and. I had no idea. Um, nowadays, it must be, it must be a little bit easier. Like it seems like you actually made some changes in your lifestyle to be able to be home more often. I, I did, and and part of that was, you know, um, transitioning more to uh, working in the in the television industry because I had a, had a pretty pretty even split of working in theater and television there for for quite a while. And then, you know, transitioning into uh, television, I was able to kind of figure out that, you know, the, the hours can, can be a little, you know, a little more um, flexible and it'd be just a little more beneficial for, you know, sustaining relationships, you know, with, with family and, and friends. And that's not always, always the case, right? You have the, a good amount of projects that come up and they require a lot of your time uh, on site, but then I'm also fortunate to have a handful of projects that, you know, I, I can work from home and, and be present and, and be around for, you know, more kind of normal person hours. Do you find that there is sort of an eight to five that's even possible now? Is that, is that even in the books? In our industry? Yeah. I could see that in installation markets. Surely, okay. if you if your work is rooted solely in and in installations, sure, right? Yeah, I don't think we got into. I don't think most of us. Obviously, there's the installations industry is doing quite well, but I don't think most of us, especially with the theater, and the rock and roll mm -hmm. background, I don't think we got into this for installations. Though I, I think we, 
Um, no. <laughs> no. I think that's a good no. way to put it. We just didn't. That that's definitely that wasn't in our in our in the in our sights. Not at all. And it's um you know it's it's definitely part of my portfolio, and I'm actively you know involved in the installations market as well. But it's you know part of part of everything you do. It's uh you know sometimes you're doing talk shows and, and installations and you know martial arts you know, fighting tournaments and yeah, I feel it's feel like it's good to have a, a really a diversified portfolio in our business and not being so reliant on, I'm only going to only going to focus on this one aspect. Do you find a, a sea change between the New York entertainment industry and the LA uh, industry? Is it, is it completely different or are they just basically similar? I feel like the style in LA is a little more easygoing, right? You can execute a project a little easier out here, and there's just tons and tons of, of of people with really great attitudes. Not that there aren't in New York, you know. There's um, mm-hmm. it's really all about the teams that you build, right? But one one thing I did notice is that you know sometimes. You know, the team that's running all the Sockapex to a truss will argue about it for five minutes on, you know, on the East Coast. And like sometimes you don't have to necessarily you know, hear that on the West Coast. Things kind of uh, just happen easier, a little easier, it seems. One of the things I really miss from the West Coast entertainment industry is the community Sharon and I, we had a fair amount of people that actually understood our lifestyle and we, we had support systems. If, you know, we had a team of moms who could help out when, uh, when the husbands are away and vice versa, when the wives were away for an extended amount of time, we had a really good collective amount of people that, that they, for lack of a better term, they, they got it. You know, are you finding similar uh, I know that you moved to LA to be closer to family. Do you have that community available to you? We we do, and, and uh, largely thanks to you know the inroads my wife has made with uh, you know with families around here. But living in a, in a community where so many people are in the entertainment industry, you know, y'all just kind of get it. Yeah, you know, and, and it's it's there, and people know that you know. I'm in the Middle East for for a month, and so my my wife may need a little help. And, and before, I mean, my wife's coworkers on the East Coast, yeah, it just wasn't that way. It was like I was in Cairo, and then you know the next week I'm in in Beirut. Uh, that community wasn't necessarily there, but everyone thought I worked for the CIA. It wasn't uh, <laughs> you know, here. <laughs> yeah, the the community here really really kind of gets it, and you know. It makes it definitely oh, makes it easier. So I have I have the opposite right now. So I, we moved to Canada to be in like a really small town. We think kids should grow up in in a small town. And whenever my wife mentions like, "Oh, Chris is in Paris," or uh, he's going to be away for six months at a time, people around here would be like, "Is your husband a drug dealer?" Well, I don't get it. <laughs> you guys have a nice house. What do you mean he's in entertainment? That's not a that's not a job. That's a, that's yeah. a hobby. Uh, you could just see it and look at my wife like, oh, he, is he in prison? 
or you know what they they <laughs> they don't get it right it's uh, it, even it, when it i go to the hard. pta meetings the pta me the, the the principal will be like who are you like i'm <laughs> their father i've right <laughs> i've been away for a little bit but i'm back now and yeah. and this is the closest i've ever come to an 8 to 5 so i'm for me they've already made a major transition to be th become this far that that's got to be challenging that's um I, I mean it kind of goes against your dna from <laughs> right where you how how you came up in it yeah i mean, we're we're both in this for i i think a lot of it for the lifestyle we we both got into this because we were attracted to the entertainment industry. We, were, we, were, we came into this knowing that we were going to spend most holidays working, knowing that it was our job to make, to entertain people when they need to be entertained, yeah. you know? And now it's, it's we're the ones unique. that we need. To, it's so unique. Now we're the ones looking for entertainment for our kids. And we're like, oh, how, how do you entertain a, a six, seven, eight-year-old? <laughs> i know it's like the uh the the dad's book of jokes can only go go on for so so long it's like yeah i already heard that one in november oh man i remember thinking when i worked at the at the joint in las vegas that i was so looking forward to bringing my kids to my profession because i thought i had a really cool job and it would be so cool to bring them in. And and I might have jumped the gun a little bit. I brought them in when they were like four. And they're like, yeah, we don't get it. Do you do you look forward to that someday to be able to like, no, my, my dad has a pretty cool job. I think so. Uh, that's, I, I think I kind of get a bit of that now because I, I will FaceTime him from wherever I'm at. Um, you know, sometimes, yeah, when you're on the other side of the world, yeah, you, you sync up and... Like, hey, I'm at work right now, and some days it's, I'm in this studio, and this is what it looks like. And you could have, you know, have your uh, programmer, operator, you know, do something cool with the rig and, you know, make it whatever color they want. And it's like, oh, that's, you know, that's so, that's so cool. It's like, you know, some people don't necessarily understand that, you know, you work in lighting. It's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, I, I don't work in a store advising you on what kind of lights <laughs> are going to be best around your bathroom mirror i can help consult with that and uh do informally for <laughs> you know friends of relatives that don't understand but uh yeah <laughs> have you had bring your son to work day yet no not yet no that's a fun day yeah uh, let them uh, throw the, the the moles or the blinders or just anytime some anytime a child gets to push a button that makes something else wild happen, they they yeah. go nuts. They love that. Oh man, I wonder if we're gonna get back to that anytime. Oh, uh, I'm get back to that. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, how is remote learning going? I'm I know that I'm I'm having a, a rough go with it. How about you? It's challenging. You know, I, I shut my so shut my office door, and I'm aware of the uh, the learning that's happening. Yeah, and, and sometimes I hear the vocal dissent of uh, you know from my son's uh, you know lungs when he's protesting, <laughs> you know, how he's bored with with whatever's being discussed or or talked about. But uh, 
you know, I have to hand it to my wife for being so uh, even and uh, and patient and, and kind of working through all of that and especially working through all of the different emotions that, you know, all of us are experiencing right now in this. And man, that's just, it's one of the hardest things, right? Try, trying to be even and consistent, positive, and, um, you know, providing the be- best environment you can for, you know, the remote learning to happen, even though, you know, they just want to be running around on a, you know, a playground and Absolutely. hanging out with friends. It's such a shift too, because up until the pandemic, my wife and I were like, okay, you only get to be on your screens for one hour a day. And now we've completely flipped it on them and like stare at your screens for seven hours a day. And then as soon as that's over, you have to go to dance, which is also on a screen. And then once you're done staring at screens, then you can have your one hour of screen time where you actually get to do the video (laughs) games or whatever it is you want. Because that's how you talk to your friends. Yeah. You know, and you better be talking to your friends online or, you know, or else. Cause that's their, their only human interaction right now. It's, it's so alien. It's so weird. It's brutal. When, you, when you're starting the day, making sure that your, your kids have their, uh, the power supplies for their devices so they could get through it. Oh, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Oh man. And your son is eight. Yeah, yeah, he's almost eight. That's too. It's too much. You can't. They just can't stare at a screen. They they don't have the capacity yet to no. to listen. And they're, you know, they need to get up and run around and spin and jump. And that's just not available. Uh, I mean, a PE over Zoom is, you know, that's that's nothing. It's not. I mean, we um. So trampolines, you know, we okay. set up, you know, we kind of set up our own informal, you know, PE stuff around here. Uh, you know, so we try to keep that going. And, and luckily it's not like he's not in front of his screen for school for seven hours a day. I think all told it's around three, three or so. Okay. But then they give the homework they get is relying on a screen as well. So it's, yeah, you, know, you really want to just give me a printout or something so I can you know, sit, sit at a table. Oh man. Through it. And you have to tell him, go sit at your screen while daddy goes to his office and stares at his screen. And we'll meet back yeah. afterwards so that we're not on our screens for, for dinner. Let's make sure that d- dinner is screen free. You <laughs> it's, know, it's brutal. It's brutal. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh man. So we totally went on some tangents here. I, I, I feel like I, uh, I totally, didn't get to a, a number of the questions I wanted to ask you, but sure. one of the ones to end this on, on a high note, one of the things that I know that you do outside of the industry is photography. Are you finding that to be a really good hobby that kind of keeps you busy during the pandemic? Admittedly, I've not touched it that much during the pandemic. Really? Yeah. And it's, um, it would have been a good opportunity to 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 get out there i like to go hiking and you know and sometimes it you know getting that time with the tripod to just go and explore you know i've uh you know tried to stay at stay at home with with the family and not not venture out far but i do okay. love you know venturing out and 
and taking photos when I can. And that's, that's hard to come mm. by too sometimes, but. That's cool. I'm, it sounds like you're taking full advantage of the time at home with your family though. It, it's great. It's one thing you, you never see time like this coming with your family and, you know, in a constant go, you know, going from project to project, you know, you just never know when you're going to have a, a big block of time. And something, you know, my son said a, a couple of weeks ago is, you know, that he's not looking forward to the pandemic being over because it means I'm going to have to, you know, start going back out to work and traveling again. And that's, um, you know, that's hard to hear also, right? But also, uh, you know, it, it also warms the heart too. Yeah, knowing that you're uh, kind of helping your family get through this and knowing that, yeah, they'll, they'll be okay. We'll all be okay. Good for you. As hard as it is. All right, then I got to ask, uh, since the, the photography question wasn't as much fun as I was hoping for, let's ask another <laughs> one. Yeah. Let's say your son comes to you and says, Dad, I want to be, I want to be in theater. I want to do what you did. What, what's the best advice you can give to your son who wants to get into the entertainment industry? Make sure you have a plan B. Also get a business degree. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's that's how we bring it full circle right there. <laughs> that, that's it, man. Like, d jump in. Love it. It's, um, you know, that's going to make a difference. And, but also, you know, be realistic and, yeah, let's let's figure out what you love about it and also what else can help you get there. And then, you know, I would just be as supportive as possible. Right on. That, that's solid advice right there. I, I can only hope that our, our children listen a little more than we did and, uh, and they, they're, they're ready to embrace that there, there is going to be some business skills necessary. There is going to be some communication skills necessary to, to, to thrive in this industry. Communication, man. You know, if yeah. I if I had if I had known, I would have um, spent more time in speech class, or you know, or really kind of leaning into those those skills that you don't necessarily, unless you cultivate them, like you don't, or or they they come to you naturally, you you can't really do. I wish I would have taken you know public speaking classes, something like that. Me too. You know? So much. I sometimes I have these huge ideas in my head, and I just don't know the right words to express them. I don't yeah. know how to convince people or how to motivate people to like get to think that my idea is the right one. And I wish that I had taken more like debate classes or business classes or, you know, even self-motivation classes. 100%. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you. I would say too, though, that, um, you know, your podcast and the amount it's grown in the last year. And, um, you know, I've really, been enjoying listening to you know old voices on headsets people i've worked with people i've wanted to work with you know you've done a great job in kind of bringing our our little band of marauders together and just exchanging ideas and things that we normally don't necessarily get a chance to talk about yeah so thank you you know thanks for having me uh, to be a part of this and also thank you for you know what you're doing for our industry and you know keeping us all going Thanks, Mick. That, that's, that's more than kind. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs>